and welcome to Just Plain Wrong, the podcast where three Mennonite librarians discuss depictions of Amish, Mennonite, and other plain groups in pop culture. I'm Tilly, your moderator for this episode, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Abby and Erin. This episode, we are going to be discussing the Amish romance novel Strength in the Storm by Laurel Blount, who is a Christian romance author. This is only her second foray into Amish romance, so she's not deeply established in this subgenre yet. Erin discovered this book by following a Twitter account that posted random snippets of the text, and it entertained us enough that we decided to add it to our list. We are, however, a bit fatigued with Bonnet novels at this stage of the season, and so we decided that this episode would be a little more experimental uh, along the lines of what we did in our review of Amish Country Treasure back in season two. What we ended up doing is having Abby read the first third of the book. I read the middle third of the book and Aaron took the last third of the book. So none of us have the complete picture and we're going to have to piece it together. Like a quilt. And to get all, like a quilt <laughs> in a good collaborative group driven model. So Reading only part of a book made me think about how I have changed as a reader. I used to be a bit of a purist when it came to finishing any book I started and finishing any series I started, no matter how long it was, no matter how disinterested I got halfway through the series, I felt the compulsion to finish. That in the last several years has faded away. I finally realized I do not have time to read things I do not like. And, you know, combined with COVID and general adult life, you know, I, my priorities are not to read mediocre books unless I'm really enjoying the mediocre book. Um, or it's for the podcast. So I'm wondering, what are your, what are your stances on abandoning a book or, you know, just putting a book down? Do you lead books unread? What makes you, what would make you stop reading something? For me, it's interesting, this isn't really part of your question, but for me, it's interesting because one of the things that COVID caused me to prioritize were some things unrelated to reading. Like I dropped out of a doctoral program and got a master's instead, and I'm done with school, and therefore I have way more time than I'm used to having. So I have actually found myself reading a lot more for fun since COVID hit, or at least the second year of COVID when I was done with school. Um, I do still, I don't feel any compulsion to finish a series if I didn't like the first one, but I will almost always power through a book if I'm at least halfway through. Uh, I don't know. I feel bad like logging it in my Goodreads and counting it towards (laughs) my annual reading goal or something. If I'm only a few chapters in and I'm not into it, that's less of a reason to power through, but I do still feel that like, yeah, and it's less about the book and more about a weird sense of guilt about my reading goals. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. It's usually like I can have checked out of a book, but it it like it harms my integrity to have not finished it. Like with this book, I did ultimately decide that a third of this book, since we would be discussing it, was enough that I could count it on my Goodreads. But I might have to do one extra in my... <laughs> annual reading goal to really feel like I met it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I have some commonalities with that. I will say 
I will get back into reading really intensely and I will read a whole bunch for several weeks. And then I will kind of maybe hit a book I'm not as interested in or something in life will just change a little bit. And then I'll kind of fall out of the pattern for several weeks and maybe even a month. Uh, and I just won't read and then I'll return to it. So I kind of go through the cyclical thing. Um, and then in terms of the books themselves, I definitely used to be more of a completist. I don't think I am as much anymore. I, and I, I don't feel like I was ever necessarily a completist about series. However, I will say something I frequently do if I want to know what happens, but I don't want to read the whole series, I will totally just like turn to Wikipedia or look, look stuff up online to find out how the end of the series went, because I often want to know that. And similarly, well, something I am more likely to do if I'm not actually enjoying a book or just I'm not sure I want to try to finish it, I will essentially take my normal level of skim reading, which is already pretty intense, and just bump it up a notch and just really fly through that um, kind of sacrificing reading comprehension pretty severely just to find out, to find out like the plot points and figure out, you know, what happened to who and when and get to the end. Um, So I do the book a great disservice when I do that method, but I do get to feel like I found out what happened. And I do feel a little more like even when I've skim read it, I get to count it for Goodreads a little more (laughs) without as much guilt. Yeah. You know, if, if you're just skimming and that's still less of a disservice than not reading it would be. So no, I think you're in it clear. All right, well, let's move on to our multi-part summary of this book. Abby, as the woman who went first, would you (laughs) tell us what happened in the first 10 chapters? So I did come up with a short quiz. It's just three questions. And then I will provide a little bit of a summary and, and make some predictions of what I thought might happen. So here's my first quiz question for you. How did Emma and Sam have their first fight that ended their friendship? A, Emma didn't like it when Sam tried to hold her hand while walking to school. B, Sam talked about marrying Emma in front of their classmates. C, Sam got jealous when Emma went skating with Albert. Well, I didn't know that they had a previous relationship that had ended. So that's an exciting little tidbit of news. I have no idea other than the name Albert is so specific and feels random and makes me think maybe it's not random and that she went skating with Albert and that was why he got mad. All right. So Anna's going with C. What about you, Tilly? I think I'm going to go B because I think Sam is persistent and Emma didn't feel the same way until more recently. At least that's what I've gathered. And so I think he probably made assumptions about them getting married and voiced them in front of the classmates. And she was like, we are not there. We've never talked about this. I don't know what age they're at, this conversation. And I think she was just like, oh. Yeah. Tilly, you are correct. Good job, so, Tilly. Yeah. They say basically during school, at some point, Sam actually asks Emma if she, she's going to marry him because 
one of the opening parts of the book is her reflecting on like the only man she's ever said yes to in a marriage proposal was Sam. They make it, I think it's maybe like eighth grade, ninth grade. Well, no, they're still in school. So it would have had to been sometime before. <laughs> no, ratchet that back. Maybe sixth, seventh. Um, anyways, but Sam apparently talked about it too much and Emma gets embarrassed and drops it. And of course, Sam has been carrying the torch ever since. So second question. What was Emma and Sam's meet cute in the present day? A, Emma and her family are at the local horse show and Emma startles a young untrained horse. Sam saves her. B, Emma is approached by an English man who wants to talk about the death of her parents. Sam saves her. C, Emma can't reach the mustard seeds from the top shelf and Sam saves her. D, all of the above. <laughs> I mean, when in doubt, all of the above. Going yes. with, okay, so Tilly's going with all of the above? The same. Oh, well, I actually tricked you there. It was not all of the above. <laughs> was it A? Uh, it was actually B. Oh. oh I thought the whole horse thing, because I figured at some point people, you know, clearly the buggy accident would have been discussed in some way. So, Wait. so question three. What happens immediately before Sam is in the buggy accident that blinds him? That's how he got blind. Okay, oh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So A, uh, he stands up to Aunt Ruth and says she has to stop insulting Emma because he loves her. B, Emma and Sam decide that their childhood interest in each other is still alive and well and that they should start courting. Or C, Sam asks Emma to marry him. I'm going to go B. I think there was some understanding. I don't think it was marriage, though A is pretty plausible. Yeah, I'm between those two as well. I'm also going to go B. That's the one I was leaning towards. You are correct. All right. So this is my summary of the first 10 chapters of the book. Emma and her family are struggling to recover from the tragic murder of Emma's parents, Lavanya and Elijah. I just thought those were fun names. Lavonia, Lavanya, L-E-V-O-N-I-A. Hmm. And Elijah Hoshtetler by a young English man named Trevor. Uh, Emma feels partly to blame since Trevor was infatuated with her because of her great beauty. Due to the nature of the crime, Emma has to leave her community due to the attention from English reporters. So she goes for a little while to Ohio. Uh, Additionally, and this is maybe a bigger reveal, Emma's twin brother, Caleb, is shunned when he leaves the community to go track down his parents' killer and leaves his young wife behind. Sam, um, Emma's childhood sweetheart, feels protective of Emma because of this and follows her around town to keep her away from the English. And they reconnect their meet cute when the screenwriter of a movie about Emma's family tries to approach her um, and Sam intervenes. Additionally, Sam's sister, Leah, is also grieving the death of her young husband and is struggling to care for their Aunt Ruth, who is pretty much the worst. Emma takes Leah's place so that Leah and her daughter can return to live with Sam. During this stay, Emma and Sam get to know each other better and have just agreed to start courting when Sam, Leah, and Leah's daughter, Janie, are in a buggy accident caused when Sam's new wild horse drags the buggy in front of a car. Sam is blinded and Janie is scarred. And it ends with basically Sam has just learned of of Janie's scarring. So that's the end. Um, okay, my predictions, 
I did see a little bit before the outline got blacked out. So I'm going to be honest here. I had picked up a little bit there, um, but I was already fairly certain that a couple of things are going to happen. Sam's blindness will be reversed because that's how these books go. They will get married at the end. I wasn't sure if Caleb would return right away or that would get pushed into another book, but something will happen there. And partly my own intuition and partly what I saw, I'm pretty sure that Trevor, the person who killed the uh, parents, will return in this book and Sam will once again save Emma in some way because that seems to be something that happens with them. I don't think there's a Janie anywhere in my third of the book. So I'm very curious if something happens to this person in Tilly's portion or... I kind of have fun not knowing what things were. You know, I got the names in my section and for a while my working theory was that Leah and Janie, who weren't referred to as Sam's sister and niece, they were just referred to as Leah and Janie, which makes sense. I was like, oh... This is like his wife and his daughter. And then I was like, well, no, because he's got to be interested in Emma. So probably there's been a woman who's been killed and he's now a widower and he feels guilty about it. Then quickly determined, no, they're actually, it's a sister and his niece who were in with him. There is, there is no dead wife. That's okay. Um, <laughs> it took me a while to figure out who Ruth was because the book didn't refer to her as aunt until like the last of the chapters that I read. It was just like Ruth. He's going to go live with Ruth, who is a woman that he will live with. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, and I, and I definitely didn't know why Emma's brother Caleb was shunned. I was just like, he's shunned. I don't know why. I just know that he's the Bishop's son-in-law and it's scandalous. Um, so uh, my section starts off with Emma going to Bishop Lambright to propose that this person named Sam, who I learn is the love interest, needs to be moved into the care of this person named Ruth, who turns out to be his aunt. And why this is an um, issue for the bishop, I'm not entirely sure, but the bishop agrees. And then they go to tell Sam, look, you're not recovering from this buggy accident that has blinded you. And... You need to be with someone who can take care of you and Emma will help you do that. And in the meantime, she's going to stay in the house with this English woman who lives next door. And we learn that Ruth has this abrasive personality and that part of why Emma has decided that Sam needs to move in with Ruth is that he's so despondent and kind of um, caught up in his grief that he needs something to be angry at. And so they're giving him Ruth to be. <laughs> That's nice. Yes. And so Sam is very much caught up in grief for some good reasons, because he can't see anything. But I'm going to say that his methods of coping are not particularly healthy and are kind of self-pitying and childish, which Emma eventually calls him on. Which brings me to my first question for you. What is Sam doing that causes Emma to say he is behaving childishly? Is he A, refusing to eat, B, proclaiming that it would have been better if God had taken me in the accident rather than leave him unable to protect Emma, which is what God built him to do, 
see <laughs> destroying things in Ruth's house and then claiming it's okay because they were ugly things. D, stomping off to his room and slamming the door when things go badly. Or E, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. I think I'm it's all gonna... of the above. All of the above. Yeah, you would be correct. <laughs> yes. So this was my introduction to Sam. I was not particularly impressed. <laughs> so Sam is, but understandably, and not sensitive to the way that Emma sees him. They had an understanding about dating, but now that Sam is blind, he's just like assumed that that's done. Like that, his assumption is like. I can't protect you. I can't provide for you. I won't be a real man if I'm blind. Therefore, no courting. Therefore, no marriage. Meanwhile, Emma is dealing with a lot of her own stuff, including the fallout of her parents' murders, uh, which was at the hands of someone named Trevor Abbott, who apparently felt entitled to Emma's time. And then when her family tried to get them to stop seeing each other because it was an English Amish thing and because Emma was not interested in Trevor that way, he shot her parents. Uh, So that's horrible. And Emma decides that she's actually going to talk to the screenwriter that has been apparently following her around town. Uh, And he's writing the script for a movie of this event, even though the event only happened a few months ago, apparently. And the screenwriter argues that Emma should talk to him so that he has her story to combat the lies that the Abbots are telling about the murders. It seems that the Abbott family is trying to cast Trevor as a hero in this somehow. Uh, they don't go into details. So I don't know if they're like, that they're like, what, like Amish people deserve to be shot or like, I don't know what they're going. Somehow or another, Emma thinks that instead of just telling the writer like, hey, maybe don't write a play, uh, a screenplay about my life. She talks to the bishop and gets permission to tell her side of the story so that the writer will be more well-informed. What she does, and we learn a little bit of background information that Trevor is mentally ill and that she was sort of spending time with him because she felt needed and appreciated. And then Trevor stopped taking his meds which were for we don't know what purpose um and then shot her parents trevor is it's unclear what has happened to trevor i guess abby you said that caleb went to go hunt him down so apparently he's on the lamb i thought he might have been in prison and was going to get out on bail or something but dun 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 the screenwriter says that he talked to a psychologist and the psychologist thinks that because in many situations, people who shoot other people then kill themselves, that there might be something unfinished here and that Trevor might come back to the community and maybe hunt down Emma and that Emma could be in danger. Naturally, he tells this to Sam, not to Emma. (laughs) because (laughs) he doesn't want to worry her unduly. And that Sam sits on this information for a little while until she's trying to walk across the yard to get between the English woman's neighbor's house and the house where Ruth and Sam live. And he was like, you must be accompanied. And then he finally tells her and she's like, oh, well, like, thank you for telling me that now. And then Sam miraculously in his 
anger at the world and his fear for Emma realizes that some of his sight is coming back. And then we get this romantic moment where he's looking at Emma's face and he's seeing it more clearly than he has in a while. And Emma is, leans in and kisses him. So, you know, yay her, initiating a kiss. Uh, this leads me to, to question two, which is what happens in the moments just after their super awesome, magical, not like any other kiss they've ever had kiss? Does <laughs> A... Emma assumes that the kiss means they will automatically be getting married. B, Sam says that they can't kiss again until he hears what the doctor has to say about his sight and they know what God's will is. C, Sam's sight tragically worsens. Or D, Sam's sight uh, miraculously continues to improve. Oh. I was kind of hoping for an all of the above there. But, uh, <laughs> Not about it. I did. <laughs> um, I still think he's going to get his sight back, but I could see it be like a false, like, I don't know. I'm going to say, actually, I'm just going to go with Emma thinks they're going to get married now because I could, I don't know. I could see that happening. I'm going to go with B based on what I know about part three. Okay. Uh, B is the correct answer. Sam stops the smooching and says that the, he he can't be a part of anything until he knows what the doctor says and therefore uh, what God wants. Because apparently being blind or partially blind uh, is the thing that determines whether or not you can marry someone. Uh, and then... They go to the doctor. The doctor says, wow, you are incredibly lucky to have regained any of your sight. You probably won't gain, regain any more and you'll be stuck with sort of like blurry shapes and colors for the rest of your life. Sam is devastated. And then they go to visit Leah and Janie. And he learns about the extent of Janie's injuries and her scars. And he learns that Leah is happy living among her in-law's house uh, even though her husband has passed, she feels very comforted by family. So Leah's doing well. Janie is a very plucky, adorable Amish girl who just loves the world, even though she's now horribly disfigured and her mom doesn't know how to handle it. Uh, and that's where things leave off for me. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah, That explains why I never encountered Leah or Janie. Mm-hmm. They never show up again. So my... <laughs> Predictions for the final third of the book are Sam's eyesight stays the same. Uh, it's partially, partially um, healed. And that he eventually does decide that it's okay to marry Emma, even though he can't protect her, which is a phrase that he says a lot. Um Probably, I, th- I think the bishop's going to talk him around. And if it's not the bishop, it's going to be his Aunt Ruth, like berating him until he does something. Even though Emma has been calling him out on the entire book. I also think Trevor's going to come back. There was a bucket that was like misplaced in the barn. And because Sam uh, has to have things kept in the same place because of navigational reasons for moving around the barn when he's blind I think that means that Trevor has been there and there's going to be some sort of altercation 
And it's going to either show that Sam is able to protect Emma from Trevor, even if he's blind, or he's going to realize that he never needed to protect her to begin with, which would be my preference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. What happens? <laughs> that's, that's what I've got to say. Oh, and probably the epilogue will, will end with her being pregnant. Like a 70% Um, chance. Okay. Yeah, this is fascinating. So maybe since I'm going to tell the ending, I'll say what I thought was going to happen. Or, I mean, just some random things to know. I literally never encountered the characters of Janie or Leah. There was literally no mention of the buggy accident. I had no idea why Sam was blind or going blind. (laughs) None at all. Uh, Also, if it hadn't been for like the second to last chapter, I wouldn't have even known about the guns and death. And also the, I I didn't know the, the movie writer thing was only mentioned once in passing. And I was like, movie writers, what on earth are there movie writers involved in this? So uh, still, yeah, I think, I wonder if that comes back in the third part, because that was really not mentioned at all. Um, So I wrote this prior. Um, Here's what I wrote that I thought happened prior to this recording. Trevor killed Emma's parents. For some reason, she is then sent away or decides to go live with Bertie, a non-Amish person who lives next door, I think, to Sam and Ruthie, his aunt. Caleb, her brother, does something to get shunned and leaves to track down Trevor and bring him to justice. Sam is losing his sight, but I'm not sure why. (laughs) So... I had chapters 21 through the epilogue and really not a lot happened in chapters 21 through 25. Uh, My portion starts with Sam returning from the doctor's visit that Tilly was talking about. And the news was clearly bad, but I never got to hear specifically what the doctor said. It was just that it was bad. And then it's interesting you mentioned the bucket and stuff being moved um, because you were right. There was someone hiding in the barn, but it was not Trevor. It was Caleb. So it's it's Caleb who is looking for Trevor, not telling anyone he's there, but like sneaking into Birdie's house to charge his phone and like hiding out in the loft. Um, So my first question for you all, what does Caleb give Emma in the barn when they meet a a note to give to Rhonda his wife b an old cell phone in case she needs to get in touch with him c a picture of their parents this is one of those minor unimportant plot points that I figured <laughs> was fine to ask a question about and I hope it's a letter to his wife I think it's going to be the cell phone it is the cell phone <laughs> Which was weird, but I actually kind of liked his argument, which was, quote, plenty of plain folks have phones for businesses and other things. This is at least that important. And Emma, for her part, was like, no, I will not take your phone because you're shunned. Uh, But he leaves it in the barn anyway. So anyway, Caleb leaves. Then Emma and Sam finally talk. Sam is devastated about his eyesight, mostly because he feels like he can't work without his sight and he can't provide for Emma. So he breaks up with her because he feels like he isn't a man if he can't provide for his family. So the themes from Tilly are carrying through. 
For Emma's part, she realizes what's going on and is insistent that this is a non-issue for her and tries to persuade him he's being ridiculous. But he insists that they break up, and so she returns to Bertie's house and arranges for her brother to come pick her up the next day. Uh, This is when I assumed they all lived in the same town, but it sounds like she was in Ohio, so not sure how he came to get her the next day. Anyway, we are now in the like second to last chapter. And this is the next day when the brother comes. My second question for you is which of the following occurs the next day? (laughs) A, Emma proposes to Sam. B, Caleb's wife, Rhonda, writes Emma a letter revealing she is pregnant with twins. Joseph and Naomi tell Emma they are pregnant. D, Trevor appears in the barn and tries to take Emma at gunpoint, but Sam convinces them to leave. Or E, all of the above. (laughs) I mean, you know, if that's an option, that's what I have to choose. So E, all of the above. (laughs) Yes, all of this happens in a single day. Basically, Joseph arrives. They immediately tell Emma that they're pregnant. They hand Emma a letter from Rhonda, and she finds out that Caleb's wife is pregnant with twins she never actually finishes the letter in this book though so I'm I guess guessing that's where book three might pick up and she's convinced that this will get Caleb to return to the Amish because his wife is prego and then they for some reason go to the barn I don't remember why and another person is hiding in the loft and this time it is Trevor and uh he confesses and so a little bit more information to what Tilly provided earlier he didn't mean to kill them he got to the store that morning and Emma wasn't there he went in and they were speaking Pennsylvania Dutch and that made him angry (laughs) because he couldn't understand what they were saying then her dad said that Emma wouldn't be coming back for a while so Trevor offered to help out in the store in an attempt to impress her parents but then her dad said no and told Trevor that it would be best for him to not see Emma anymore and then winked at him and laughingly told him to find another girl. Trevor says he got a gun in the first place because he hated when people laughed at him so this is what set him off. So oh my goodness. Hashtag we need gun control. While Trevor is telling Emma and Sam this, he's like waving his gun around and trying to get Emma to go with him. Um, And Sam manages to defuse the situation by saying that Trevor or convincing Trevor that he needs to do what's best for Emma and that would be letting her go. And also he shouldn't shoot Sam because it would look really bad to kill a blind person. Literally Sam's argument. (laughs) As if it wouldn't look bad to kill the two oh. loving Amish shop owners yes, <laughs> who are the parents of the woman he thinks he's in love with. Yes. Uh, this works. And Sam walks Trevor down the road where he disappears. They don't convince him to turn himself in. So he like goes off somewhere. He's, he's not, he's not caught yet. Um, but then Sam returns and Emma and Sam reconcile. And in a twist I liked, she actually proposes to him she says I can tell you love me you should marry me I mean so not quite a proposal proposal but she does propose and he does say yes that is the end until we get to our epilogue so they are they are married now and uh Tilly you should have gone for 90 percent because you're exactly right the very last line we find out that Emma is expecting (laughs) um but a big plot point is that Sam couldn't marry Emma because he felt like he couldn't provide for her so what job does Sam end up doing? A, he realizes he finds gardening fulfilling, even though he had previously thought it beneath him as women's work, and he and Emma start a roadside produce stand. B, 
Joseph, Emma's older brother, decides to reopen the shop their parents owned and asks Sam to manage it. See, because he is good with horses, he begins to work with a local Amish horse trainer. See, horse trainer. Horse trainer. There was a there was a moment where he was like diagnosing a horse by touch earlier in my section. He could feel that it was warm and the horse sprained its knee or something. Actually, B, they reopened the shop where the parents were killed because apparently, I don't know what time frame this takes place in, but apparently a whole bunch of people got laid off. And so the Amish people don't have enough work. And so they decide to open the store so that all of the local Amish people have a place to sell their wares and keep the community afloat. Real like christian capitalism here um but he he i don't and i don't think it ever specifically mentions his eyesight it, his eyesight doesn't get better but i don't know that it ever gets worse it sort of stays in that limbo stage but emma also helps him run the shop so yeah that is what he ends up doing hey okay. well that it's an interesting story <laughs> that we pieced together there um You know, as far as accuracy and inaccuracy goes, it's kind of hard to tell. Again, Vagueville, I think, means that a lot of the things we could determine, we can't determine. Uh, My own general impressions with accuracies and inaccuracies were pretty much the way that family members were referred to felt weird. Like, Ruth was just Ruth and not Aunt Ruth. And... Sam wasn't referred, like, Janie didn't call Sam Uncle Sam. She just called him Sam. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like for a six-year-old, you would be taught to say Uncle Sam, um, not Sam. Uh, so that didn't seem right. And then I Emma is apparently wearing mourning clothes. So she's wearing black because of the death of her parents. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of Victorian and weird. Uh, But it turns out that many Amish groups do have the tradition where women specifically will wear black for around a year after the death of a close family member. Uh, There is an exception to this rule, and that is in Franconia Conference, which actively bans the wearing of black as mourning. (laughs) So that's, that's really all I could think of as far as our usual accuracies and accuracies question goes. How about you two? I think the one thing I would just say, some of the family dynamics felt more accurate in the sense that they were very like interconnected, but at the same time, I felt like they had this kind of connected inner family, like their brothers and sisters were still involved, but kind of like the next layer up seemed oddly missing. Like maybe because other than Aunt Ruth, I mean, I guess they reference like maybe the rest of their extended family lived elsewhere, but there was kind of like that next layer seemed missing. And one thing I will say, I don't know a lot about how horses and buggies work, but it kind of felt like the author did or either did a good job of faking it or something. I'm not sure, but the way that she described both like the training that went into the horse and the way the accident happened and some of the details about driving the buggy seemed accurate to me, but I will confess, I I don't know anything about that area. So it was just more like the, it seemed logical to me is maybe the way to put it. As you might imagine, the last third of a book really didn't contain a whole lot of, uh, details uh, on various things (laughs) to go off of. Um, One thing I did notice just in terms of the writing, this book was 
weirdly written. I don't know if I'd say it was good or bad, but the prose was just, it was, I don't know. But I will say there were a few phrases that I caught that I was like, oh, those seem accurate. Like she, Emma, one time was expressing concern that Caleb would jump the fence, uh, which is a term often used when people leave the Amish. Um, in, in the Goshen area, they call it jerk over. I had never heard that until I moved to Northern Indiana and in, in Kelowna area, it was, it was called jumping the fence. Um, and then they kept calling people that were pregnant quote, in the family way. And again, I was like, yeah, that feels right, actually. Like, not something I would say, but feels like definitely something an Amish person would say. So kudos, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I mean, even without any of us having the full picture, I think that's probably above average accuracy for things we read. Moving on to next discussion question, which is maybe not so much a question as an opportunity to discuss slash rant about themes that jumped out at us now that we know more of the story. So again, it's interesting to only read the last third because I got to see these things be resolved and I didn't have to spend, like, I thought maybe the whole, um, woe is me. I can't provide for a family because I'm blind thing only showed up in chapter 21. Now that I know it was going on for like a solid 10 chapters before that, I find it a lot more irritating. Because <laughs> um, I was sort of like, okay, you're being ridiculous, but I can understand that you're going through something here. But yeah, he had a really toxic view of, of Sam did. He's, his just internalized ma- form of masculinity was really disappointing. Like he could only be, he even refers to himself, like I'm not a real man anymore if I can't provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And again, Emma for her part was like, I can choose who a man, like who is man enough for me. I can choose, like it does, like she for her part was trying to counteract that. And again, maybe minor props to the author for having that in there, like that Emma was a counterbalance to that. And that in the end, Emma's who proposed to him and who kept pushing him forward. It was interesting to have a character with blindness. And I'm actually, I'm curious what they'll do in book three, but at least for the end of book two, they did not miraculously cure him. And I think I am glad for that. And there was also none, I mean, there was a little bit of this is God's will stuff, but I don't think they ever said that in relation to his blindness. So I'm glad for that too. Um, I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to say much without having read the rest of it, but I feel like overall, I, the view of masculinity was disappointing. The view of disabilities and blindness, I, I wasn't mad about. I actually thought the author did an okay job, at least in the portion I read with having him overcome that and find a job that would work for him and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Thinking about the themes when all I had was like the wind up, like I never really saw like, did the ball go across the plate? I don't know. I'm trying to make sports metaphors here. I don't know why I'm trying to do this. I don't know. I know. I know less about sports than I. The ball usually goes across the plate. Yeah. Well, I definitely didn't see it. Let's put it that way. Um, So anyways, um, uh, so that part I didn't have as much because that really is happening right at the end of my section. But um, the idea of how Sam views masculinity is, it's very fragile masculinity. Like it's all about like the first part is a lot about talking about like what a big guy he is, his presence, you know, and that really shapes his interactions with Emma. He's also frequently like puzzled by her emotions, like not quite sure how to handle them. And while he is 
he's not completely fixated by Emma's beauty, but he talks about it a lot. And there was one short thing that kind of made me go, ugh. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is the quote, and I just, I kind of hated this. Um, she smiled, and her beauty pulled at him, drawing him in like the smell of a fresh apple pie. That was the trouble with Emma. She didn't mean it to be so, but there was something about her that made a fellow do foolish things. It wasn't her fault. Sam knew that. Emma would never on purpose hurt anybody. Somehow that innocence made her all the more dangerous, like an oil lamp lit and put in the hands of a toddler. Emma didn't know the power she had in that face held in that face of hers. She never had, not really, although she'd played with it a little here and then, like a child playing with a match. She lit fires and didn't even realize what she was doing. And it's just this buys so much into this notion about how women are like women's appearance Mm -hmm. is responsible for men's actions which is such a dangerous fallacy and also this whole idea that somehow both of that like the two analogies there again were about emma being like a young child um and innocent and therefore not being responsible for her own actions and i feel like for the most part emma and the bits that i saw her from her perspective she knew what she was doing she seemed to kind of (laughs) have her own sense of self and so sam's perspective seemed particularly skewed Hmm. yeah i have to echo the toxic masculinity thing i'm glad to hear that sam is overcoming some of that i did not love reading his point of view sections because so much of his internal monologue was like it is my job to protect people it is my job to quote you know, look after widows because the Bible tells me that, you know, like he views himself very much as, and the word that the text keeps using is like a protector because Emma will always get in trouble and she won't mean to get in trouble. She can't help it. He just needs to be there to protect her. And he tells her this and she, she's pretty much like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, like I wasn't there to intervene when someone shot my parents, but that doesn't mean it was, trouble that I could have avoided like she was doing all of the right steps and when they kiss for the first time she has this thought of like oh wow none of the other people I've kissed have ever kissed like this and and she talks about it a little bit that you know she tried kissing people she liked going on dates with other guys she really wasn't interested in Sam until more recently but was aware kind of in a way that I think is really uncomfortable that Sam had been carrying this torch for so, so long, which, if you ask me, puts a lot of pressure on her. And Sam's family members are like, by the way, you're it for him. Like, he will never love anyone but you, just so you know. And and she's like, well, I guess I know that, but also I am interested. And now he's decided that, like, this won't work. Mm -hmm. So he's being butt face. Um, that's not what she says. I don't know what she calls it, but she doesn't. Yeah, so she's, she's very clearly aware of what she wants now. She's grown and learned and tried things on and got to know other people and and then has come back and made her decision. Meanwhile, Sam hasn't done much. And every time that his internal monologue or external monologue would be like, I need to protect Emma. And if I can't protect Emma, I'm worthless. I would think, what do you mean by protect? Because the way that it was framed made me think that like he would physically intervene. Like, I'm sorry, just because like, 
You're Amish, okay? You're not going to throw a punch in her honor or her defense, okay? You can not throw a punch if you're blind, and you cannot throw a punch if you're sighted. Like, either way, physical violence shouldn't be something you're resorting to. So why does that physicality matter to you when speech is still there and awareness is still there and he can still move around and do day-to-day things? Like, what, I guess... I guess he can't do construction anymore because that could be detailed work. But this whole protect thing really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. The violence thing comes up with Caleb too, at least in my section, it's implied that like Caleb is literally like tracking down Trevor. They say to like bring him to justice, maybe like by taking him to the police or forcing him to turn himself in. But there's like this weird inner monologue of Sam's where he's just like, oh, if Caleb finds this guy, he's going to like, it'll be scary. Like basically assuming that Caleb would forsake his entire Amish upbringing. And I mean, I don't know if you're justified. I mean, you you have reason to be mad at the person who killed your parents, certainly. Mm-hmm. But again, usually the Amish way would be you know we bring them to justice but we don't like we don't harbor those grudges ourselves we don't take violent action ourselves yeah i feel like these these are impulses that both of those men should have not developed in the same way that that in an english world would develop mm-hmm. um anyway i'm i'm glad to hear that sam comes over with it i'm glad that he starts to see emma's contributions cuz he he does seem to view her for the lens of like person who just needs to be taken care of and not person who is competent to live her own life. Oh, see, that's really interesting because in my part, they have a conflict because she feels like he's trying to take things over. Like she's trying to help him too much when he can do things on his own. Like she's trying to like be his eyes and that. that Oh yeah. He's really sensitive to that. Like he doesn't want to look quote weak in front of her comment is after they're engaged. She's like, well, then you better start giving me other things to look after like a kitten. Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay okay anyway and then she's pregnant Um, one chapter later you know for someone who's held the torch for emma for so long he doesn't really seem to know her so sam is very caught up in emma's beauty and really in a way that's actually kind of similar to trevor he Mm. wants to be with her he envisions that he loves her he wants her to pay attention to him and to view him as strong. He doesn't actually want her to help him. He doesn't want her to uh, do anything that might put her at risk. So he is sort of this failure to understand Emma on her own terms that he's starting to chip away at, at towards the end of my section. And there's this part where Emma is walking him across the yard and offers Uh, him her arm and says you know like look no one will notice if you're holding my arm like there's no like put your pride aside and he said Emma tried to sound casual but he heard the worry in her voice it's funny how often folks said one thing when they really meant something different he'd never really noticed that before (laughs) I just want to be like (laughs) dude you've never noticed that like people put up a front or a lie or like try to soften like you've never noticed that <laughs> how are you an adult <laughs> uh, well i guess uh, outside of that passage and the one that 
Abby read, which I think was very illuminating. Uh, are there any other passages you want to highlight for humor or for other purposes? Well, none of these are from my section, but these are three of the quotes that I found on Twitter. This book was like power tweeting out quotes uh, when it was first released, and they were very funny. That's why we chose it. But anyway, here, here, here's a sampling. The first one, quote, she knew it was Sam just as she knew it was summer because it was because it was and there was no mistaking it. Okay. Um, the second one, quote, fall is the best time for bonfires. Silly me, but I was feeling lonely and irritated and I just had to set something on fire. That was a birdie quote, the English woman that Emma lives with. And then <laughs> this is maybe the best one. Um, quote, Emma's face was tip tilted up and the joy in her expression hit Sam square in the chest. He'd been kicked by mules and felt it less. I can say with confidence, I've never seen or used the phrase tip tilted before. Mm -hmm. um, just some fine examples of, again, I'm not sure if I'd call it good or bad, but the prose was weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was more, um, not quite purple prose, but it was a little bit more extravagant and more full of metaphors and more, a little more flowery than, than what we usually read. Though I don't know as, as a woman, if, my partner was looking at me with joy and we had just made out or whatever. I don't know that the desired response I would want was, I feel like I've just been kicked by a <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a painful way to break your ribs probably. Yeah. But you know, I guess hyperbole is a thing. Oh, uh, one thing I did forget to bring up for our, our last question was that there really wasn't a whole lot of depth gone into Trevor's motivations, but it did seem to be a like mental health equals violence mm -hmm. uh, connection. And it wasn't examined much and it wasn't explicitly said, like, if you're mentally ill, you'll probably kill someone. But it was sort of implied that like violence comes about by people who are mentally ill when, you know, and that may be a factor, but mentally ill people are far more often victims of violence mm -hmm. uh, than perpetrators of violence. So that is something I would like to maybe challenge this book on. And then I also think that maybe toxic masculinity is of a greater cause to cause someone to commit violence. Um, mm -hmm. Even than mental health, they'll probably, those are intertwined. All right. So I think, we should skip rating this. It feels a little too harsh to rate something based only on a third of it. But I do think we should talk about if you'd be willing to read the rest of the book and what your general impressions of the book are. Abby, why don't you start? Um, I don't know. I, I actually... I enjoyed reading this a little more than I thought I would. I think going into it, maybe because of the quotes, I thought we were in going to be in like, kind of, is this a, you know, is this a writer or is this a bot territory? And we definitely weren't there. Like, I felt like the, I was just, I, I was more interested in the book. There was plot movement, the characters, while I had some big issues with Sam, they had nuance, they had 
some depth to them. And I did kind of want to keep reading. I I didn't um, because <laughs> I was also going to get the rest of the book summarized for me. So I was like, well, this lines up with what I like to do with books. I just read the first bit, then someone else tells me what happens. And again, mine wasn't really confusing because I read just the first part. It was just unfinished as opposed to confusing, whereas you guys both had to pick up uh, essentially mid midstream. Um, but yeah, I mean, for my first part, yeah, I, I thought this was, I'd maybe put it in the middle or slightly above middle of what we have read in the Amish romance genre. I don't think I'm going to go back and read the rest of this book. And it's probably unlikely I will read its sequel. Just there's too many other books out there. So unless we do it for the podcast, I'm probably not going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm in a similar situation as I often am with two of you. I found the writing style very accessible and kind of refreshing. Um, It seemed a little less interested in having like ye olde language and more interested in just very basic language. And then if they were fanciful metaphors, you know, that was forgivable in my mind. I was frustrated by some of the thought patterns that Sam and Emma had regarding their guilt and their perceptions of their roles in the world. But I will say that both of them seemed to be growing through that. Like they were aware that uh, Emma was aware she should not take responsibility for Trevor's actions, that she was blameless in that event. And eventually Sam comes to realize that he can't quite blame himself for the actions of a rowdy horse. So they, they learn to, to, be more patient and considerate of their own faults. And in the process, I think they probably become easier to get along with as people. And I think it, it has them on the, the path towards being more communicative with each other. So I, I had hope for them as a couple, even though I did want Sam to like take a mandatory introduction to like cis hetero patriarchy course, um, which she would never do, but you know, <laughs> Just, it just sort of felt like it would help. Yeah, I'd say, I think if if we had read the whole thing, I probably still would have found it on the on the higher end of our spectrum. And then also, Abby, like you said, I don't think I will go finish it. I might look up the plot of the next book so I can see what happens to Trevor. Yeah, I'm glad I got to read the last third. I think I got the best end of this deal, though I will say it it was very confusing. Chapter 21, (laughs) I had to read a couple times because I was like, who are these people? But I think I got the like best parts of the characters because they were starting to come to like the resolution parts of all of their conflicts. And uh, it makes me sort of want to just read the last half or last third of of more Amish romances. <laughs> Maybe we can just get away with discussing that. Because I have a feeling I would have liked this book less if I had read more of it. And I'm wondering, for as much as we're like, this didn't seem that bad. I, I really think that if, if we had had to read Tilly's 10 chapters and then like the first five, like that would have been like 15 chapters of... Sam's toxic masculinity issues. And so we might not Mm. quite have the same uh, level of grace towards it than we are right now. That's true. That's Um, a very good point. 
Because, yeah, I, I mean, I do like that he sort of came out of it and Emma, for her part, at least when I was the, the character of Emma, I got was definitely pushing back on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I felt like this was better than most, but hard to tell. <laughs> That's just because we only had to read 10 chapters <laughs> Um, maybe this is the answer to our our Amish romance burnout like yeah you know. what we should do is we should just take a stack of books like you know maybe if we hit season five or something we'd like to reward ourselves we're not going to read any Amish romance what we're going to do is pick up a stack and we're going to read the first chapter make predictions and then read the last oh. two chapters and oh. see how accurate we are like if we by that time if we've really gotten the genre down if we can guess all of that the, would be, we could, it could be like a blitz episode and we should record mm-hmm. it or like you should bring them a whole bunch of books from the MHL. And then, yeah, yes. we just like do a whole bunch of books all at once. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode on strength in the storm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the book and toxic masculinity <laughs> or uh, the interconnectedness of violence and toxic masculinity or other subjects. We also like to hear your recommendations, corrections, other musings. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider leaving a review and recommending it to your friends. Next week will be our season three wrap up. Thanks for tuning in.